0: Welcome to the Gardening the Hudson Valley podcast, where every week we bring you new inspiration from the gardens and gardeners of New York's beautiful Hudson Valley, making you an even better gardener. And now, here's your host, Marie Iannotti. Hello, and welcome to the Gardening the Hudson Valley podcast, the show that brings you gardening news and tips from the gardens and gardeners of New York's beautiful valley region. I'm your host, Marie Iannotti. I'm going to guess that it's wet enough for you today. We can no longer complain that we've had a very dry fall and worry about the winter. We're getting plenty of rain, off, unfortunately, all at once, so be very careful driving today because I know from firsthand that a lot of the roads are flooded, so please be careful if you're out there. This week on the website I posted another garden interview in the series Big Ideas for Small Spaces. Actually, I, I posted the video a while ago, but I'm reposting it this time with uh, the webinar, the slideshow, and some gardening tips that I'm going to talk about today. This time I visited with two volunteers from the Vanderbilt Garden Association, an amazing group that brought the gardens at um, Hyde Park's Vanderbilt Mansion back from ruins, literally ruins. You can see that from the uh, photos that are posted there. Uh, Many people assume that historic sites have all the funding in the world to uh, work with, that they have ample funding, and that's not usually the case. Actually, they're usually constantly begging and holding fundraisers and whatever funds they have tend to go to the restoration and the upkeep of the house the gardens are just left to fade away to oblivion well the Vanderbilt Garden Association has been working in stages since 1984 so that this just passed their 30-year anniversary um, this group of volunteers have been working to get the gardens at the Vanderbilt Mansion to the quality they are now. If you've been there recently, you know how beautiful they are. Now, along the way, they learned many, many lessons that would be useful to any gardener. So along with some history of the site, we got some insights into how to revive a forgotten garden or how to, and how to keep it looking great, or just how to um, keep your garden from fading away. You probably don't have a group of volunteers maintaining your garden. If you do, I'm really jealous, but most of us don't. Um, Then Keep in mind, though, that these are all amateur gardeners who are doing the work at um, Vanderbilt Mansion. They're amateur gardeners just like us. They're doing it just because they enjoy gardening. So, their points are actually some key points worth pondering. Um, So, let's get right to it. The planning, prepping, and planning tips from the Vanderbilt Garden Association. The first tip, um, the first couple of tips, probably most of us won't follow, but they're really, uh, they would be wise advice if we actually took it. Um, The Veritable Garden Association took a year to get organized, create a plan, and come up with a mission statement. They developed a one year plan, a three year plan, and a five year plan, keeping maintenance in mind along the way. And they also updated these plans so that they continually have a one year plan, a three year plan, and a five year plan this is really good advice for anyone planning a new garden or a renovation or just uh, trying to keep your garden uh, from taking uh, from going on its own uh, merry way and becoming overgrown if you do the one three and five year plan you won't become overwhelmed um, at every task that is calling for your attention things will be less chaotic especially if you're short of Time and or funds because working in stages also gives you the opportunity to see things become completed. You can see a final product and, and congratulate yourself, tap yourself on the back. And once one fi- uh, task is finished, the next one doesn't seem quite so daunting. You're actually excited to move on to something different at that point. Um, the next tip is that uh, from Sue, Sue Williams told us this one. Sue Williams and Sue Gillespie are the two volunteers who talked with me about the Vanderbilt Mansion. Sue Williams um, was showing me the ruins that uh, the garden started with before the association got a hold of them. And she said that before you do any gardening, especially restorations, look at the hardscape the walls, the stairs, the paths, the buildings, and replace them first. Now we always hear that you have to get the bones right, but we really don't often make the connection that the bones can actually be the hardscape and not just a couple of key large plants. The reason for this is that um, if you jump ahead and you put the plants in and you just start planting because you can't wait to start seeing something in bloom, you're just going to have to move them later on. You know you will. And I'm not saying you won't have to move some later on anyway, but you sure don't want to have to dig up a whole garden and move it to another site, because that's where the path goes. All right, we might not take that advice, but we'll probably wish we had. Uh, a third tip, site the garden where you entertain. This comes to us from the Vanderbilts themselves. The Vanderbilts sited their formal garden in the spot where they would take their evening walks. So if they had company over, come on, we're going for our evening constitutional, and they got to show off their garden. They got to enjoy their garden, and they got to uh, share it with other people. Now, the rose garden was put where Mrs. Vanderbilt liked to take her guests for tea. It had a lovely view. It it had a little uh, cabana where they could uh, have the spread uh, put out for her guests, and she got to enjoy her roses and her guests at the same time. Another tip Sue said um, was that the real start to gardening is in the fall when you compost the beds and till it in. Because that compost takes up to four months to become available for the plants to use as nutrients. She said your garden starts in the fall, you have all winter to plant it and dream about it. And then in the spring, it's just really uh, rote maintenance. Put the plants in and enjoy. Both gardeners agreed, and I have to say I agree with them too. Perennials are more labor-intensive than annuals. Everyone thinks perennials. You plant them once, you forget about them, they grow forever. Perennials are plants that are supposed to live more than three years. It doesn't mean they will. But um, as Suzanne Gillespie said, once the annuals are in, they're on their own. And all you do is, you know, pluck weeds or deadhead if you need to. But the Perennials require constant care, a lot of close weeding, dividing, deadheading, staking. And then because they live more than one year, you have to make sure that they're not being attacked by uh, any kind of fungus or insect. So keep that in mind. Perennials, while they're gorgeous, are more intense, labor-intensive than annuals. Um, a couple of water gardening tips that were really interesting. The water gardening part was fascinating to me. The Vanderbilt estate had a water garden that was too deep for code um, in New York. I think that's only about 12 inches without having a fence around it. Theirs was too deep, um, and so especially since it wasn't tended uh, most of the time, people were allowed to wa- were still allowed to walk around the estate free uh, freely without anybody um, being on guard there. Well, they put a fake bottom in their pond to raise the level. Um, they actually put uh, a wooden scaffolding and topping. They used um, rot-resistant wood. They recommend you don't use treated lumber or materials that could poison your plants, your fish, or wildlife who come to drink out of it. So They put a fake bottom in the pool, and they raised the level, so they didn't have to uh, redo the whole pool. Uh, the uh, water-resistant uh, lumber has lasted quite a long time. They'll probably have to p- replace it at some point, but they'll cross that bridge then. And then what they did is they put um, pylum dye, which is a black vegetable dye, pylum dye that just floats on the top of the water. It doesn't actually change the color of the water. They tell me if you pull a bucket of water out, it looks clear. But it floats along the top, and it uh, blocks your vision from going down. So it gives the illusion of depth, uh, and you can't see the fake bottom at the bottom of the uh, uh pond there. You you can't see the pots that the water lilies are in or the lotus are in, but it also makes the top of this uh, water very reflective. So you can see everything surrounding it, the uh, pergola, the statue, everything is reflected beautifully off of the the surface of the water. And it cuts down on the formation of string algae because it blocks a lot of the light that goes into the water. And if you've ever had a water garden or a pond, string algae is the bane of water gardeners. Of course, mulch plays a big part in cutting down on their maintenance, their weeding and their watering. And, as I said with the Locust Grove, and I spoke with the gardeners there, the gardeners at uh, Vanderbilt also mulch with shredded leaves. Use what you have available, and by God, especially at this time of year, we have so many leaves at our disposal. It just breaks my heart to see them push to the the side of the road and then seeing people hauling in bags and bags of uh, mulch in the spring shredded leaves you don't even have to shred them very much you don't even have to shred them quite honestly I wouldn't put them too thickly if they're not shredded because they will block the water but winter shreds the leaves for you so a mulch with shredded leaves it's very good for uh, getting, making a nice crumbly uh, forest floor like soil Does, has a lot of benefits they also use sawdust mulch in the rose garden which I hadn't heard of I'm not so sure I like the color but um, they got this uh, sawdust it's from hardwoods and from a reputable source it's very clean it doesn't draw too much nitrogen from the soil and it was free it was a byproduct most of these places are wising up even stables are wising up that uh, they can get a few bucks out of gardeners at this point for their uh, for the things that they just want to haul off and get rid of but um, it's something to look into if you know of a good mill uh, you might want to go and get some sawdust to mulch around some shrubs the rose garden, which is one of the highlights of the Vanderbilt estate, um, they used to use synthetic liquid fertilizer in their irrigation system. They've had a lot of problems with their rose garden. They completely renovated it this year, but when they were using yeah, easy to say, the synthetic liquid fertilizer, uh, they found that their roses were really stressed because the salts, the high salts in the fertilizer, had killed off the balance of the organisms in the soil. So they had very poor soil. They stopped using that, they amended the soil, um, and they um, actually have completely renovated the rose garden. They found out that roses aren't long-lived, that they only live about five years, uh, and that hybrid teas which was what uh, Mr. Vanderbilt had planted and what they tried to replicate, that hybrid teas were bred for greenhouse growing. They were bred so that uh, they could cut all those lovely long-stemmed roses. And they don't thrive in our area because we do not have greenhouse conditions. So they've replaced them um, all with the current rugosas and um, the shrub series uh, Fairy Tale and Explorer. That These are two rose series that come out of Canada. They're rated uh, hardy to zone three. They're expecting them to do really well there. And the, because they're shrub roses, they need less of them. So that reduces the maintenance with those. So they don't need nearly as much uh, pruning and um, they just really need to keep them in check because they're all repeat bloomers. So if you love roses, you don't have to do without them. And one final tip that Sue gave me was that many of the inexpensive roses that you see for sale at garden centers and um, hardware stores and whatnot, uh, you think that they're some kind of cheap rose that they're throwing out, but they're just roses that are no longer under patent. So they they, they can't make as much money off of them. They sell them as in bulk instead, and um, they try and get rid of them so that they can get their new patented roses out there on the market they're still very good plants so don't be afraid to buy those and put them in your garden also some of them are they you know they they breed and test so many roses a year and if it the, the color isn't just right or it isn't as large as they want then they don't bother to put it out on the market they'll just sell them in uh, discount places like that so don't be afraid to buy an inexpensive rose there can be some really nice one out there they also gave me a handful of plants that passed the test of time for them. Their go-to annuals are petunias, begonias, heliotrope, um, lantana, marigolds, and zinnias. Now, zinnias do get a little powdery mildew in our in our uh, humid summers. I like the perfusion um, series, they're small and not as flashy. but. You can always repeat sow Zinnia, so they're worth it. Uh, I think lantana is a, a much underused plant uh, in our area. It's very, very easy to grow. I have trouble with heliotrope. They don't, so you should go ahead and try it because it's also a beautiful plant. They're standout perennials, uh, and they had to do some searching here because, again, Mr. Vanderbilt had multiple gardeners who could uh, take care of his gardens when he wasn't there. And this was basically just, a, I think, an early, an early summer garden for them. They weren't there year-round, so they've had to do some um, testing out of perennials to make it a a three-season garden. Um, Underused Thermopsis, Carolina Lupin, and then some of the more familiar Dianthus, some small Mums, Siberian and Bearded Iris, uh, Sedum Autumn Joy for the fall. What would we do without Sedum Autumn Joy? And Catmint, which I heartily concur with. I think Catmint is just a fabulous plant for this area. It'd be, uh, some of the new ones, I really love Walker's Low. Repeat bloom and just about stay in bloom all summer long with very, very minimal maintenance at all so i think this is all good advice whether you're renovating putting in a new garden or just thinking about ways to cut down on maintenance Um, if you missed any of these tips so you can of course find the full write-up along with the webinar and the slideshow and all the photos on the website at gardeningthehudsonvalley.com remember it's still a beautiful time of year to be visiting gardens it's really a nice time of year to be visiting gardens because you probably have the time you're not so busy in your own garden so once the rain stops think about going out and uh, your camera check out a few of the gardens along the river here i would love to hear about your favorite gardens whether in the hudson valley or not and also remember that there are more big ideas for small spaces to check out on the website uh but right now i would like to thank you very much for listening and i hope you'll join me here again next week for gardening tips from the most beautiful place on earth take care everybody